good morning. He has risen. He has risen indeed. It's that classic line that we, many of us grew up hearing when we shout out, He is risen. There's this anthem back. We'll try it one more time just to warm ourselves up for this service. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He, oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Um, at, at any point in the service, no, I'm just kidding. Don't just yell that out at any point. Um, picture this scenario with me for just a moment. You have your favorite TV series. Season one, great. You loved it. You start to have some of these intrigue and these characters start to develop. And then season two comes out. Even better. A lot of times season twos, they usually drop. You know, season one, it's great. Season two, not so much. But this time, season two, even better. And then now, season three has just come out. You haven't seen it yet. Right? But people are talking. Some of your friends have already binged the entire season. And they turn to you with like bouncing excitement saying, the best is yet to come. And so with that excitement, you go home, you put everything on hold. You say, spouse, I don't have time. Just like put something in the microwave. I have to watch this third season. And as you're starting to watch this third season... Some of those questions that you had in season one and in season two start to get answered. Start to get answered in ways that are surprising, are exciting, are invigorating, and you just can't believe it. It's so good. And you are right in the middle of season three. Picture this scenario. Season one, God establishes a people. He calls them out of bondage. He calls them out of slavery. He gives them an identity. He gives them a purpose. He names himself their God and he promises to be with them. And they go on this journey and it is great. It's not easy. It's hard. But it is good. And then season two comes. And a man easily missed changes the story just a little, but adds to the story, grows the story, fulfills the story as he teaches and as he guides and people are following Jesus and it is better than ever and they are excited. And just as things are reaching their highest pinnacle, we enter into season three. But then we find out season three is canceled. Forever, impossible to continue. Jesus is dead. It's over. The community is dumbstruck. They're broken. They're frail. They're lost. The cross, what happened? Everything was moving in this perfect direction. God was building his people. He had found his Messiah. He had raised him up. Everything was moving all in the right direction. And then everything goes upside down. Season three is canceled. There's all the questions that are lingering in our minds. Don't get answered. It's lost and done. But then, as nobody anticipated or expected, season three was not canceled. 
One day, some of your closest friends burst into your house, practically bouncing with excitement, and they declared to you, what we thought was over is not over. The best is yet to come. He is not dead. He is alive. And as the early church lives out in season three, their questions that they had about who Jesus was, about life, about death, about resurrection, about the victory of God, all of them start to fall into place in ways that they didn't even, couldn't even have imagined. Even though Jesus had declared in his teachings how things would flow, no, nobody could wrap their minds around this teaching but he was really and truly raised from the dead. Everything he preached falls into place. Easter morning released the understanding that we have today that the best is yet to come. And we who put our trust in the resurrected Jesus are already a few episodes in. We have already tasted and seen bits of God's full promise and his full salvation and his eternal life, even here and now. But we also know that there is more, that the best is yet to come. Now, we all know that that's why we are here and celebrating today. Whether you believe it or not is a different question. Whether it feels real to you is also another question. But for the early church, it was everything. Without the resurrection, the cross was no victory. It was just tragedy. Without the resurrection, Christianity is honestly utterly ridiculous. It makes no sense. Yes, the teachings of Jesus point to the best way to live life. And nobody argues with that. Most secular minds have never had anything to say against Jesus' moral teachings. They applauded him as a righteous man who led and did good things, who called out people to love others. But secular culture and all other world religions all have to play mental gymnastics. They have to turn a blind eye. First, to everything Jesus said about himself. Second, to everything Jesus said about the resurrection. And third, everything the followers of Jesus said about his death and resurrection. Sure, you could remove all the miracles, right? You could remove his outlandish claims. You could kind of sanitize his teaching and you could boil it down to all of these nice moral truths. And a lot of culture, a lot of our culture has done that. But you do that, and it isn't Christianity. And there is no hope. And the best is not yet to come when we've done that to the story. Culture can't handle, culture can handle, I should say, a good man dying. Culture cannot handle that we believe that we preach, that we proclaim that Jesus truly and literally rose again and remains alive. 
This has always been the case. And just a few decades after the tomb was seen to be empty, and just a couple decades after Mary and the other women went crashing back to their friends saying, he is risen, he is not dead. We have the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians understanding the depth and necessity of this truth about the risen Jesus. 1 Corinthians says these words, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in, but if he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are la- are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. It's a powerful truth that he came to understand, a powerful reality that we need to grapple with, that without the resurrection, the best is not yet to come and the best will not come. But with the resurrection, we know that the best is yet to come. And it was with this knowledge that on his deathbed, D.L. Moody exclaimed, Earth recedes, heaven opens before me. For the Christian, truly the very last of life is the very best. Now, I will admit, um, Some of us don't think much about heaven because we struggle to even wrap our minds around it or for some that are younger, it feels pretty far away. Um, I appreciated this quote by uh, David Lloyd George. When I was a boy, I thought of heaven, um, used to fright, the thought of heaven used to frighten me more than the thought of hell. I pictured heaven as a place where time would be perpetual Sundays with perpetual services from which there would be no escape. This service will end. And all God's people will say amen to that. Um, But it's far too easy for us to lack a spirit-filled, scripture-directed imagination of what is yet to come. Paul and all the disciples, they got it. They understood. And it is their testimony that we rely on to help give us a divine perspective. It is their lived story that we choose to trust as inspired and given to us in this, the Bible. But spirit-filled, scripture directed excitement about what is yet to come and what is already breaking into our now is something that we can all know and we can all appreciate. So we're going to take a look at four reasons to be able to say the best is yet to come. 
And I just want to give thanks and credit to a former pastor of mine, Dr. Stan Reeder, who helped direct a lot of this talk for me. I was really encouraged by it years ago, and I just really felt like the Lord was saying, yeah, work with it, use it, allow it to be part of the message that you share uh, with your congregation. Four reasons to say the best is yet to come. First, the best body is yet to come. Can I, can I hear an amen? There, there, there are those, amen. For some that are younger, you're like, really? Like, I'm kind of great right now. Well, trust me, it, things happen. The body wears down. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Um, um, R.A. Torrey, he says this, um, we will not be disembodied spirits in the world to come, but redeemed spirits in redeemed bodies in a redeemed universe. I think this is important. Sometimes our imagination of heaven strips it down to something so sad and soft and kind of pathetic. But what we see in scripture is something deep and rich and something for us to anticipate something for us to work towards, to live towards. The body that is sown imperishable is raised imperishable. The body is forever falling apart, breaking down, getting old, but the best is yet to come. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I can't tell you the last time that I looked in the mirror and I said to myself, um, now that is one glorious body. <laughs> it's not, I can't tell. No, no, I, it's been a while. Uh, anyways, the best is yet to come. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. You know, I uh, stopped paying for my gym membership. I know. I just, I couldn't handle walking in there and seeing all of these guys with unbelievably chiseled bodies and muscles, and I just stood there and, you know, <sighs> to be raised in power. <laughs> the best is yet to come. It is sown a natural body. And all of these passages, as you can see, are taken from 1 Corinthians, Paul's big, grand vision of what it means for us to live with the best that is yet to come. The natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Our bodies will have none of the natural limitations that we now have to endure. <laughs> no more bulges, no more pain, no more sickness, no more unsightliness, the best is yet to come. Now, point number two, the best of creation. The best creation is yet to come. You know, and just as our bodies will be redeemed, so will creation. And ever since sin entered the world, entered into the Garden of Eden, the whole world has been subjected to the second law of thermodynamics. You could think of it that way which tells us that everything is slowly deteriorating 
Everything is slowly coming apart. And the Bible tells us that all creation has been groaning, waiting for the arrival of the new heaven and the new earth. The Garden of Eden, oh, it must have been so incredible. It must have been so good. Waterfalls and all of the coolest animals just like parading around and perfect, beautiful, something that all creation, all humanity has longed to go back to. And we see that all through the Old Testament, images of Eden calling us back, wishing and longing to re-enter that place, a place that we can never go back to. The best body, imagine this, in the best creation, being able to do our best work. I think this is one of the things that's easily missed. And when I grew up thinking about heaven and thinking about what's next, I always didn't consider this, that in the new heaven and in the new earth, when everything comes together, we get to be fully ourselves with our labor, with our work. Our labor will not be in vain. Our creativity, our ingenuity, our efforts, our building, our constructing, everything that makes us human, that gives us energy in our jobs, all of that also exists in heaven. All of that also exists because of our risen Jesus. And that is good news because we're not just going to put our feet up and relax. We get to do stuff. We get to build things. We get to create. We get to dream and wonder and plan and construct. This is good. For those of you who hate your jobs, you can... <laughs> you can know that that's not going to be the case down the road. For those of you that love what you do, you get, to, you get to do more of that. You get to do what you love in the most beautiful and in the most redeemed way. This is good. The best work is yet to come. In Christ, our future is not lazy, it's not boring, it's truly invigorating. Now, so far, everything that I've talked about, I would say the entire world would say, yes, amen. That paradise would be great. I would love all of these things. New body, new creation, meaningful work. What, what could be disagreed with that? And if the story ended there, everybody would say yes, everybody would want what Christianity has always been asking and giving. Humanity's psyche is homesick for Eden. Our subconscious, we, we long to be like that first woman and that first man who had deep enjoyment. But things have gone sideways, as we know. I like the picture um, that John Eldridge puts into his book, The Journey of Desire. He tells a parable about a sea lion. Um, a sea lion who had lost the sea and lived in a desert where it was dry and dusty. But something inside him longed for what he had been made for. How the sea lion came to the barren land, no one could remember. It all seemed so very long ago. So long, in fact, it appeared as though he had always been there. Not that he belonged in such an arid place. How could that be? He was, after all, a sea lion. But as you know, once you have lived so long in a certain spot, no matter how odd, you come to think of it as home. 
Our ancestors came from Eden. We are now living out our lives in a sin-corrupted, fallen earth. And we no longer need to long for where we came from. A place to which we can never return. Easter morning has the great news that there is a new destination. Easter morning tells us that there is more in store than sin and death and suffering and war and poverty. Easter morning is the first promise that the earth that is, is not our home. That Easter morning lets us know that we are headed for a God-ordained final destination of heaven joining earth that is way better than Eden. Easter morning assures us that the best is yet to come. But there is one final and greatest reason that we get to declare that the best is yet to come. And it is this reason that honestly is, is what separates and what divides. Revelations 22.4 summarizes it beautifully. They will see his face. This is what is best. This is what is most, the, this is greatest. It is the truest that is in front of us, that the best of heaven, the best of earth and heaven coming together because of Christ's resurrection is that we get to see the face of God. The Westminster Catechism proclaims this, that humanity's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. John Milton puts it this way. Thy presence makes our paradise, and where thou art is heaven. I love the way John Don puts it. I shall rise from the dead. I shall see the Son of God, the Son of glory, and shine myself as the sun shines. I shall be united to the ancient of days, to God himself, who had no morning, never began. No man ever saw God and lived. And yet, I shall not live till I see God and when I see him, I shall never die. Yet in our culture today, we've made heaven about everything except seeing God. There is more anticipation in many people's hearts about seeing loved ones than seeing God. We've even set aside excitement of seeing loved ones sometimes for the joy of finding self. Um, there's a book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven. It was on a bestseller list for a while, a while back. Um, and there's this story that portrays a man who feels lonely and unimportant. He dies, goes to heaven, meets five people who tell him his life really mattered. He discovers forgiveness and acceptance. And it sounds so good. But the book portrays a heaven where God, at best, 
plays a supporting role. It's a heaven that's all about me. And this sort of heaven is a place that is of therapeutic self-preoccupation rather than preoccupation with the person of Christ. And we might ask, what's so exciting about our future in heaven? The most amazing thing about heaven is that we will see God's face, that we will truly and totally set at his feet At God's feet, our selfishness, our ego, our pride, our control, and we will enjoy letting God be God. And it is this final reason, this final reason, the best reason, that many will turn and walk away. Everyone wants the Garden of Eden. Everybody wants the Garden of Eden. But few want the gardener to be in charge. Does that make sense? Everybody wants the Garden of Eden. But there's only a few that want the gardener to be in charge. Everyone wants heaven, but few want God to be there when they arrive. Jesus, he stands at the door and he knocks He desires to give you new life and a new future. But what that new life also gives and offers is that God will be at the center. That this new life is not me at the center of it all, but God. And it's only when we decide to die to ourselves that we are raised to new life in Christ. Many people assume that, you know, what they've done, attending church, you know, serving in the soup kitchen, giving money, will be enough to enter heaven. But people who do not respond to Christ's invitation to forgive their sins will not have, will not have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. And the truth of the matter is, is many people don't want that. It's not that God doesn't freely desire and freely offer life and life eternal to all those that are open and interested. The resurrection of Christ has paved the way for all to be saved. But a lot of people don't want to bend their knee and say, God, you are God and I am not. And my question for all of us is, have you today said yes to Jesus' invitation. You can today. He promises that his risen presence is close at hand right now. I am here, he says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Have you confessed your sin? Have you asked for forgiveness, accepted Jesus' presence into your life, looked to his presence to empower you to follow his way, prepared yourself for eternity? Have we done these things? And you can today, on this Easter Sunday, you can, you can make that commitment. 
you can with confidence know that no matter what's happening in life today, the best is yet to come. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. As they, as they sing, and as we sing, we have two songs that we're going to sing today. As we sing, my encouragement to all of us is to consider how good our future actually is to consider all that Christ has shown to be true about our eternity and that our eternity is breaking in here and now. Yes, we have a hope in the far future and that hope is breaking in right now for bodies that are failing, for minds that are struggling, for hearts that are hurting. The victory of God is present and available now, not just because of what he paid on the cross, though that is everything and essential, but it is connected to his resurrection. Because he is raised from the dead, we have hope. And we can proclaim hope and we can hold on to hope. And as everything else fails, we can know that the best is yet to come, both tomorrow and for forever. Let me pray and then let's sing. Heavenly Father, if there are those here today that have come because Easter is a time when you come to church. Lord, I just pray that you would grab their hearts, that your word proclaim would work in their hearts and minds to wrestle with the necessary truth that you are raised from the dead. And if you weren't, then we are all to be pitied. And Christianity makes no sense. But we stand on the history of your people who have declared for centuries that you are not dead, you are risen, and you are coming again. And we, with that confidence, we live our lives with new hope, new purpose, new freedom. Each and every day we get to cling to your resurrection, that we get to participate in that resurrection one day, both now and for our eternity. Lord, we have that blessed assurance and I am so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.